0: There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto, with Hi-Fi portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell.
1: Well, good morning, Toronto and Canada. Happy birthday. Indeed, Canada Day is today so get out of bed turn your radio nice and loud and uh well we're going to talk about the performance of the cpp very very relevant to all canadians in canada and we we'll just do a little checkup to see how well it has performed and some uh, ways to get the most out of your cpp uh we have an actuary in fact the chief actuary Murno chapelle um Fred Vitice joining us. He's also the author of The Essential Retirement Guide. Uh, he's going to be dovetailed in with, of course, everyone's favorite financial planner, our very own Michael Bellamy. Uh, and then Jack and I are going to take you on a little music magical mystery tour. Not really, but uh, we're going to talk about music a little bit more. Uh, the pressing of vinyl and the resurgence of vinyl. Uh, Lindsay Gillespie, a retired uh, music expert, uh, record company owner, broadcaster, uh, and now car collector, uh, is going to join us just to talk about what happened to the press and uh, the resurgence of the press. But uh, without further ado, Fred Vatisse, Chief Actuary, Morneau Chappelle. Thank you for joining us, Fred. Hi. So, Uh, You're an author of uh, the Essential Retirement Guide. In fact, we believe one of our clients has been walking around your book treating it as a Bible. It's not something? It it is. It's very, very flattering. Uh, And uh, we'll have to hand you his copy so you can autograph it for him, perhaps. But um, uh, really, what we brought you in for, you know, you're an actuary, and and, and Jack and I deal with CFAs and IAs and uh, FPs, (laughs) which is actually a good thing, financial planners. (laughs) Um, But actuaries are actually in in a different class in 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 our opinion uh very, very well-educated, well-seasoned, uh, uh, learned individuals, and it's not easy to become an actuary. Uh, how, how many actuaries actually exist in Canada? Do you know? I don't know. Probably a very. I think it's a small, small handful. I don't know. My guess would be about 2,500. Yeah, and I, I think in terms of investment advisors, I think it's 30,000. Uh, we live in a crowded marketplace. You, you you, you, have a little bit more survivability, I think. But uh, let, let's go through some of your, your key findings, and uh, I think the key point of our, our discussion this morning is going to be talking about... Uh, Uh, Early withdrawal from CPP or deferral withdrawal from CPP? Uh, And uh, I think the camps are somewhat divided, but you're going to shed some light on this.
2: Uh, Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, almost half the Canadians decide to take their CPP before 65, and almost the other half take it around 65. Then a very select few take it after. You can take it as late as age 70. And there may be maybe 1% of Canadians who actually wait until age 70. My guess would be that they're procrastinators as opposed to making a a, a smart decision, at least at least doing it intentionally.
1: So based on your work, uh, what makes most sense economically to Canadians?
2: It makes eminent sense for the vast majority of people to be waiting until age 70 to take their CPP. And the reason is because what they're doing in that process is they're transferring both longevity risk and investment risk back to to the government, as opposed to taking it on themselves. In retirement, uh, people say that their second biggest concern after their health is outliving their money. Mm -hmm. So by taking it late, instead of getting uh, their regular CPP at 65, they get about 50% more money at age 70 than they do at 65. And uh, they get that for life, even if they live until 104.
1: What is the maximum benefit to a Canadian if they take it out at the earliest date, which is age 60, versus the maximum benefit if they take it out the latest date, which you said is age 71?
2: Uh, age 70. Age, age 70 would be the earliest. Uh, latest. Uh, it's more than double at age 70 versus age 60. So the maximum these days is um, $1,114 at age 65. Then you take a, a 36% haircut to take it at 60. And uh, as I said, you're getting about 50 percent more at 70. Now, um, some of the more sophisticated listeners might be wondering, well, why is it 50? Why is it not 42 percent? That's what the government says it is. And that's because of something very technical. It's about the difference between wage inflation and price inflation. In actual fact, though, the increase is more like 50 percent. So, again, does health come into the equation here? In your opinion, in terms of making this decision? It barely comes into the equation. Now, especially if you're married, as long as one of you is going to be living a long time, then it doesn't really come into the equation at all. If you're both going to expect to be uh, dying young, then, yeah, maybe you, you don't defer. So you're saying people should basically,
1: at age 60 to age 70, draw down their RRSP more, make up for the shortfall or lack of CPP coming to them draw down their RSP, and then when they head later into retirement, their RSP would be smaller, but their CP benefit would be greater.
2: Exactly. And so by drawing it down faster, obviously it makes people anxious. I mean, their their self-worth is kind of tied in with their, their actual personal assets. And so if they're draw- drawing it down faster, they're going to get a little anxious about that. Now the uh, But the upside is they start drawing it down a lot slower after age 70 because they're getting so much more CPP at that point in time. And in actual fact, they're their uh, RSP, which is now their RIF investments, are going to actually going to last longer than hmm. they would have otherwise.
3: So, 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 Fred, when you're when you're coming up with this analysis, are you looking at where you're at in the market cycle? Because if you did, if you took your drawdown, like you said, say in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when the market was down, call it forty percent, you'd be uh, withdrawing at a, at a rapid pace versus where you're doing it now, where you're taking off a bigger base. Do you look at that at all?
2: I don't, I don't look at that at all, and the reason I don't is because you, you never know when you're at the top of a cycle or at the bottom. If you look at the, uh, the, uh, the bull markets in the past uh, 100 years, mm-hmm. some of them have lasted two years, some have lasted five years. Uh, the longest, I think, was about 10 years, which was the one in the 1990s. So we don't actually know how, when, when we're actually at the top of a cycle. We also don't know when we're at the bottom of a cycle. So I don't take that into account, no. Well, you both raised some very, very
1: valid points. Uh, look, stay tuned. I, w- I, w- I want to sh- continue on this uh, journey of our Our Canada Pension Plan, right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto.
0: For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640.
1: Happy birthday, Canada. We all love you very much. And good morning, Toronto Hi-Fi Radio AM640. Of course, Jack Hartle's in the house and uh, Jeff Blanco is going to join us later to talk about our loony. What's more Canadian than the Looney? Well, maybe the Canada pension plan. I'm going to give you some good news about our plan and uh, the, the reason why you should pay attention to the stock market, even if you don't own any stocks directly? Uh, the Canada Pension Plan. Well, it has over half of its assets in public market investments, to the tune of about 164 billion dollars. So, uh, yes, your pension is very much affected by the equity markets. A lot of the stuff also with the Canada Pension Plan invests in what's called real assets, hard assets. Uh, it could be toll toll booths or bridges, and um, uh, anything that, that that is part of infrastructure per se. Uh, 23% assets there. Further good news on the CPP uh, fiscal. T- 2017 rate of return 11.8 percent compound not too shabby. Uh, five year rate of return for the Canada Pension Plan 11.8 percent impressive. And the ten year number 6.7 percent. So uh, again, uh, when we run financial plans at Canada, Mike uh, usually you, you like to plan long term and use what what rate of return?
4: Yeah, so we're using five percent typically on most plans to again to be conservative. But you can see that. You know, numbers can be higher going forward.
1: Mm-hmm. So, anyways, let's 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 get back now, of course, to our friend uh, Fred from North Uh, You want to ask him a few questions, there, Mike?
4: Yeah. So, I just had a quick question around um, tax brackets. So, looking at different clients, does you know their tax bracket factor into the CPP at all, as far as when they should take it or when not to take it? So, the
2: uh, the tax tax brackets don't really c- come into the equation because. Uh, for you to actually defer until age 70 means you need to have enough assets of your own that you can draw down in the meantime. That tends to be people who are in the upper middle class, or you know, uh, and, and they're maybe middle class, but they tend to be are in roughly the same tax bracket. Those who are in the lowest tax bracket are not going to be uh, deferring in any event because they need the uh, they need the income immediately.
3: Fred, just another question here. Um, you had an article, I guess, in the Globe Mail about a week ago. He was talking about uh, the fairness of the CPP versus uh, public service uh, pension plans. Yeah. I was wondering if you could maybe go through the details with it, because I read the yeah. article. That's what actually uh, prompted us to get you on the air, because sure. it seems like it's quite controversial. It seems like uh, uh, the public service is uh, getting a bit of a benefit, and maybe uh, all of us, el- everyone else here is maybe not getting the- a fair shake.
2: Yeah, there's a couple of aspects of the Canada Pension Plan which uh, most people don't know about, even actuaries don't know about. So one of them is if you have earnings between age 18 and, 40 and 65, that's 47 years' worth, you have to contribute the whole time. You only need, actually need to contribute for 39 years to get the maximum. So you might be contributing as much as uh, 8 years extra without. And and if you do what I was suggesting earlier, of deferring until age 70, there's a potential of contributing for 52 years to get a benefit that uh, it max maxes out after 39 years. So it means that you're putting in a lot more money. So is that fair or not fair? Well, rather than uh, debating that, you can just look at what happens uh, in the pension plan for the people who write the rules for the CPP. Now, these are civil servants and they have their own plan. Now, mind you, they're also contributing to the CPP, but they have their own plan called the Public Service Pension Plan. Right. In that plan, they get the maximum pension benefit after 35 years of service. And so, guess what? After they have more than thirty-five years of service, they don't have to contribute to the plan anymore. So people in the CPP do; people in the public service pension plan don't. So that's one difference. Right. Another one is about the spousal benefit. Uh, another thing that not everyone knows about. So if uh, if if you die, your spouse gets a benefit, a pension, survivor benefit equal to sixty percent of the amount you were getting. That's what right? the CPP, right? That's the CPP, Correct. and that's great okay. news, except for the fact if you were already getting. Uh, so let's say if your spouse was already getting the maximum pension, then she gets nothing of that survivor benefit because you max out at one time the maximum survivor benefit. So they have a combination of rules that, that limit how much of that survivor benefit she can get. And some people get nothing, and that benefit can be worth as much as $160,000. Sure. Now,
3: does, does that come into play when you say that you should defer till seventy now? Because you can only max out at. Well, it
2: comes into play in a good way actually, because okay. if you defer until seventy, let's say, uh, let's say um, your okay, let's say you die at sixty-seven, uh, your spouse is the same age as you. She hasn't started her pension yet. She gets your full sixty percent, even if she's entitled to the maximum because she hasn't started collecting it yet. So she can wait until 70 to start collecting hers. At that point, the survivor benefit gets cut off, but she gets the maximum amount until age 70. Once again, a real complication, but the kind of thing people don't know. Sure. Now, so the thing about the survivor benefit, as I said, if you got the maximum, or so your spouse who's a survivor gets the maximum pension in her own right, uh, I'm assuming she's female, then it means that you don't get the survivor benefit. Doesn't sound fair, but once again, let's look at what the public service pension plan does. And in that plan, uh, the survivor benefit for the average uh, uh, silver servant is going to be about twenty-six thousand dollars if they have a full career, and that is worth that's worth a lot of money. It's worth worth about five hundred thousand dollars. And guess what? There's no max on that, so there's no cap. They they get they can get their full um, public service pension if they happen to be in the plan themselves, plus getting the full uh, survivor benefit on top of that. So we have different rules for the CPP than we do for the Public Service Pension Plan. And I'm not saying the Public Service Plan is unfair or or, or overly generous in this respect. I am saying that the
3: CPP has to explain why they have different rules. Right, right, for sure. Well, well, go ahead. I was going to say, it doesn't sound fair to me, but no. uh, it seems like uh, from an actuarial standpoint, actuarial is, is math, from what I understand. Yeah. So uh, you'd expect it to at least be the same for the two plans if they're both governed by, uh, by the government. Yeah.
2: Uh, Fred. Do you know who Ed Haley is? I don't. I do yeah, Well,
1: he's one of your your brethren. He is. He is a actuary. But you know what made him famous? He discovered Haley's comet.
2: Oh, yeah, that, okay, yeah. I got it.
1: So, so I, I'm re- I have a book that I picked up. I, I caught an interview once, I guess on CBC. Uh, Moish Milewski, uh, The Seven Most Important Equations for Your Retirement. Um, and, and he went through pensions. And, and, and uh, some simple math that he, he illustrated uh, is when individuals are faced with retirement and they're in a company pension plan, uh, DB primarily, a defined benefit plan, and they get an opportunity to take a lump sum versus accepting the annuity. Uh, so the rough math that we have been working with, Jack and myself, based on uh, Malevsky's work, I'd like, I'd like to actually have you challenge a little bit or, or maybe add to it, but is basically using a roughly 15 factor. So let's just say the pension offered to the individual is $1,000 a month uh, for the rest of your life. Uh, that'd be $12,000 a year. We would put a 15 factor on that and see what the lump sum, the, the, the the total amount would be. And I guess what uh, 15 times 12 is what 150. 180. What You go actually, you're quick. So 1 180. And so if they gave you a lump sum offer of 150, we would say that they they are not offering you enough money, and vice versa, they gave you more than 180. They're giving you a very generous offer. Uh, how would you, on in the, in the back of an envelope, can make a calculation like something like that?
2: Well, the funny thing about that, first of all, the factor of 15. Uh, if you're a 65, that would be a little light. It might be more like 17 or 18, but I mean, I'm quibbling. Mm-hmm. Um So the interesting thing about this is that if people are entitled to a defined benefit, um, a monthly amount for life, they're going to be loath to take that lump sum and, unless it's really generous. However, if they are, already have a lump sum, then they're loath to turn that into a defined benefit, which they can do by buying an annuity at an insurance company. So it seems like people tend to stick with whatever they've got, um, even even if the other alternative is better.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, look, we're, we're going to make some money and keep the lights on around here, uh, Fred. So I want you to hang around because I didn't want to ask you about just that because a lot of people have been uh, challenged, i.e. Nortel pensioners, uh, by not being able to uh, receive what they were promised to. So I want you to stay, stay with in the studio here. Uh, we're going to make some money and come right back to you. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto.
0: For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640.
1: Nice, eh? A little tragically hip for you on Canada Day. And happy birthday, Canada. We love you very much. Uh, Let's stay on the Canada pension plan. We all want to retire and we want to make sure we do it properly. And that's what Fred is here to help us with. Uh, So thank you for sticking around there, Fred.
2: You're quite welcome.
1: Yeah. Uh, So let's let's stay on the theme because Canadians learned that company pension plans are not necessarily bulletproof. They learned that, unfortunately, with Nortel. Uh, Jack and I received phone calls Every month, uh, people who worked at various companies. We get calls from General Motors. We have inquiries from Kodak. Uh, people are entering retirement and say, no, I don't feel comfortable for the duration of my retirement leaving my pension there. And so they come to us with this big package. They have an offer. Uh, and it, it, it's a monthly annuity or it's a lump sum. And we, again, we've been working off the factor of 15. You say the factor of 17. But uh, in your, based on the work that you've done as an actuary, the solvency of Canadian corporate pension plans Give them a grade.
2: Uh, the grade I would give them would be a, a B plus. I give it a B B+. And, I'm uh, right. yeah, hmm. I do that because it's been a real challenge. I mean, no, nobody ever saw interest rates going down as low as they did. Uh, back in the 1990s, uh, lowest uh, any investment manager I talked to could envision long-term bond yields going with, would have been <laughs> 6 or 7 or even 8%. Um, and, of course, they've gone down all the way to, down to 2%. And that's uh, that presents a real challenge for uh, for pension plans. It's kind of, kind of like a river where all the water's gone, and now we see the rocks at the bottom of the river. That's kind of where we are. But in spite of that, the vast majority of pension plans are still solvent. Uh, the vast majority of them are going to be paying a hundred cents on the dollar. I mean, the vast majority. There'll be very few plans which are exceptions. And usually, it's not a problem with the pension plan. It's a problem with the company when they don't pay it because the company itself is in financial trouble. But the pension, but as long as the company stays stays in business pensions end up getting paid. Look, the, the, the key
1: question I want to ask you and just that notion is segregation of assets. Can
2: a pension exist while the company long, no longer does? Uh, yeah, well, certainly the pension can exist. Uh, the, uh, the assets are still going to be there. The assets are separate from the company. And uh, there'll be an outside administrator who will be brought in in order to administer them to the pensioners and so on. And the uh, the end goal, and this could take three or four or five years, would be to pay everybody out by setting up annuities or paying them lump sums and, and uh, taking care of them.
4: Do you see a lot more, uh, obviously Wolf was saying, we see a lot more clients coming to us with lump sums. That obviously is better for the companies to pay out the lump sums rather than having... Uh, kind of long-term obligations? Well, you see,
2: the lump sums are calculated these days on, uh, based on an interest rate that's around two and a half, three percent 3%. And companies generally expect that their pension funds are going to earn 6 or 7%. So it's actually a complete reversal of what happened 25 years ago where when somebody terminated employment, it was actually a, a gain for the pension plan, and now it's actually a loss for the pension plan.
1: So are they giving out because of low interest rates a greater lump sum today than they otherwise would if rates were, shall we say, normalized?
2: Oh yeah, for sure, right? No question about it. So
1: therefore, that's why it's a cost to them to actually write that lump sum check. That's correct. I'll tell you the biggest lump sums we see, Jack and I, are again. Public servants, uh, the, the lump sums are almost double uh, that that we see in the private sector. It, 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 it really, it, it, it's unbelievable. Um, indeed,
3: as you say, it sounds like they're actually going to change the way that they they do their math on some of those plans because they're so generous. And I think that uh, they recognize that they're offering overly generous lump sums to their uh, to their employees. Yep.
2: I don't know what the details are about, about the about the lump sums that they're offering to the plans. Sometimes, yeah,
3: sure. The other thing is too, Just uh, we were talking about uh, the solvency of, um, of private companies. How about uh, CBP? We all belong to it. How solvent is it? Uh, there's demographic changes that are going on right now in Canada, obviously, and it's going to uh, affect, I guess, the amount of people that are, are claiming the CPP over the years, obviously.
2: I used to hear this an awful lot more about 20 years ago. Yeah. People used to wonder, worry that, that the CPP wasn't going to be around by the time that they came to collect. Sure. And mm-hmm. that's also one reason people get for not wanting to defer until age 70 because they're afraid it's not going to be around. Right. Uh, I know how it's uh, being administered. I know how it's being funded. I know the all the gyrations they, they go through to make sure that the plan is going to be sustainable. I have no concern whatsoever that the CPP is going to be around for the long term. If this was the United States, I would say it's a totally different uh, equation. Yeah, they, say,
3: they say that up in Canada, we have some of the best uh, public pensions in the world. Yeah,
2: there's no question about it at all. In the United States, Social Security is going to be in trouble by 2034 and right. they won't be able to pay 100 cents on the dollar. And uh, and what's it going to mean? Either they have to raise taxes, and which po- American politician will do that, or they have to cut benefits. And there's, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place down there. We don't have those issues.
1: How many worker bees exist today for each person collecting CPP?
2: Okay, so uh, the uh, number of workers to uh, sorry, number of retirees sorry, work, yeah. number of workers to retirees. I got that right. Used to be about six back in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Today it's about 4.3 workers to wow. uh, to each retiree, and in 25 years it's going to be about 2.3 workers right, to each that, that's retiree. That's the frightening number, and, and that, hence
1: the immigration policy in Canada to. I think rejuvenate.
2: We have to keep on on bringing in immigrants. That would be one thing. The other thing we're going to have to look at hard is going to be uh, raising the retirement age. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a bit of a third rail right now. People don't want to, uh, governments don't want to talk about doing that. But we're about the only country in the world which is uh, not having that discussion so far. Almost everyone else has raised. The age at which of full eligibility for social security benefits.
3: So, so what age do you think makes sense? uh, Well, almost
2: every other place, every other developed country in the world has made it sixty-seven or sixty-eight, and they're even talking about seventy in some places. Um, so 65 is not going to be sustainable in the long run. I, I, that, that much I'm sure of.
1: So, so the good news is there is enough money in the Canada Pension Plan we will collect if we worked. Yes. Um, the bad news is we're, we're probably going to have to work a little longer at some point in our careers. Uh, but hey, we got ourselves a little nut. It's not enough to live off of. You know, that fifteen to twenty thousand uh, dollars of income, maximum income you get from Canada Pension Plan, is not enough to live off. But it pays for some of the bills. Uh, Fred Batisse. Chief Actuary, Morneau Chappelle, uh, an absolute pleasure. And we're going to have to talk next time with you about that book yours, The Essential Retirement Guide. I know there's something in it because my doctor really likes it. I want to appreciate your time today. Yeah, Coming cool. up next, we're going to talk about the loonie uh, and maybe some loons as well. Jeff Blanco, head of foreign exchange, Canada Court, Wealth Management, going to talk to us about what got the loonie going this week right after this.
4: I want money.
1: Stay with us. There's more shows still to come.
4: That's what I want. You're
1: listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. That's
4: what I
0: want. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640.
1: Yeah. <laughs> happy birthday, Canada. And that song, of course, is for Jeff Blanko. Now, So Jeff,
5: you're a prairie boy? Uh, born and raised in rural Manitoba. Isn't
1: that nice? Uh, isn't that nice? Well, happy birthday to all of us. Indeed, uh, Jeff Blanco, head of foreign exchange FX, we like to say, in the business. Uh, Canadian dollar uh, rally ho-ho this week. Uh, <laughs> silly question, is it a new bull market for the loonie?
5: Um, certainly another interesting week for the Canadian dollar, and that was once again on the back of Comments from our central bank. So nothing really new was said. They're just restating what they said two weeks ago uh, and that they're starting to get a little more confident in the in the growth prospects for the Canadian economy. And this week, Polo's come out and said that uh, rates are extraordinarily low and it looks like the cuts from 2015, which we talked about the last time I was on, have done their job. And then uh, the Deputy Governor Patterson came out yesterday and said uh, oil shock is behind us. So um, they're certainly preparing the market to remove those insurance cuts from 2015. Mm-hmm. And the result has been uh, it's caught a market that's still very, very short Canadian dollars by surprise. So we've had another big move in uh, the Canadian dollar stronger.
1: Well, yeah, the world has been shorting Canada, sh- shorting our oil, uh, shorting our dollar, shorting our banks on fear of real estate. Uh, yeah, they've been waiting,
5: uh, waiting for that big real estate Crash, which
1: just hasn't happened. It so, short short, short in Canada happened. has been a bit of a mugs game. Yep. Um, that said, the, the Canadian dollar on a year-to-date basis is, in fact, up. Yep, uh, a couple of a couple of percent. Yeah, a, lot exactly. of that,
5: a lot of that's been in the last month. Actually. Sure. I think the last, first time I was on. In May, it was around uh, 37 was where the Canadian dollar was against right. the U.S., whatever yeah. that was the other way. But you
1: really had almost a perfect storm for the Canadian dollar in terms of it, it, it hitting the depths. You, you have uh, weak oil, weak net gas, weak commodities across the board, of course. Uh, you have low interest rates, higher rates south of the border, um, and you have people skeptical of Canada putting further downward pressure. So uh, do you think the short squeeze is now behind us and the Canadian dollar
5: has had its rally, or is there more in it? It's tough to call, and then they usually take a little bit longer in this to unwind, to be honest. Um, another big factor is the U.S. dollar in general has come off under great selling pressure over the last little while, once again based on central bank comments, mostly from Europe, the U.K., and the fact that the the data out of the U.S. has not been particularly strong lately. So... Um, that whole rate divergence convergent story again is starting to turn against the US, that helps the Canadian dollar out as well.
1: And again, folks, what, what Jeff means by that is interest rates have been risen in America while they continue to recede really in much of the world. So that's called a differential rate. Uh, now the world is starting, as Canada is participating saying we have to take some of that excess, excess slack out of the system. But again, when I think interest rates and we think can strengthening the Canadian dollar, we have to think about housing. Uh, so just off air, Jack uh, pull up the charts from the yield curve, the cost of money short-term versus the cost of money long-term. And again, investors don't think pay enough attention to the yield curve. It's very, very important. It, it, it speaks volumes, that little line uh, in the sand. Uh, but interest rates have risen in twos and fives, uh, meaning two-year bonds rates have gone up, five-year bonds rates have gone up. And mortgages are priced off of five-year bonds. So I have to deduce that if the five-year bond trading the marketplace has risen in yield, at some point, mortgage rates are going to rise.
3: And that, that's the fixed income, the fixed mortgages that you're talking about there, Wolf, right? The five-year mortgages. Not the variable Not the rate. floating, obviously. You're correct.
1: But the floating would, would, would uh, I guess, uh, move adjust up with the front end of the curve. Very quickly, yeah. yeah. So the irony is that the yield curve, uh, like long bonds, 30-year bonds, have not moved an iota. Yeah. Um, that's and, more
3: a reflection, I think, of the long-term inflation uh, risk in the market. And that's what it's pricing in right now, which there is no inflation risk basically in Canada and the U.S. At some point there will be, but right now the market doesn't see it.
1: So the, so
5: all, all the central bank is doing is taking out excess capacity, not fighting inflation. Right. They're, just, they're taking those those insurance cuts out from the low-price oil that they took out in 2015. And
3: that, that was even questioned and very unexpected when they came out. I think it was January or February of 2015. I remember but No I remember one expected it, well. it to happen, and the loonie tanked. The loonie right. went down below $0.70. Cents, yeah, it,
5: right? uh, I remember that well. I was long Canadian dollars at the particular point in time, so I do remember that uh Not surprise. a fun, not a fun a, trade. No, it was not a good trade. So in terms so, of...
3: <laughs> no, just, go ahead, Jack. I was just going to say, Jeff, last time you were in here, which was not that long ago, uh, two weeks, I think, maybe three, um you were talking about the upper end of the range for the looney being i think 77 78 cents has that range moved up a little bit just with the the recent moves that we've had in the Canadian dollar?
5: Um so I'm I still think there's good value in the US dollar around that uh, around that level that 77 78 level but once again the adjustments of these uh, positions and what's going on in the US dollar in general are really tough to gauge. Um, but I think uh, from a long-term perspective for sure, um, there's still some issues in the Canadian economy. We still have core inflation. You know, The last number just came out at 1.3%, yeah. which is one of the reasons why we're not buying into the July Bank of Canada hike like the market is. They've priced in a 75% chance of a July uh, uh, 12th hike. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we don't think that's going to happen, or I don't think that's going to happen, because hmm. Polo said two weeks ago that it's too early to throw a party. Um, it's only been two weeks. Right, so I, I think they're going to prepare the market for higher rates. I can't see them wanting to do it right now, especially with the move we saw in the Canadian dollar. I don't think they want to compound that uh, that well, move. So,
3: well, that in itself would slow down the economy, right? The rising Canadian dollar, uh, in in fact, will do the same thing as rising interest rates, meaning it'll clamp down or be a bit, I guess, hawkish for
5: the Canadian economy.
1: Did you see volume pick up on your trading? Does things go a little crazy this week? With people running for running for cover?
5: It always picks up in a day like uh, the said uh, talks for sure. When they get that kind of move, everybody gets interested in uh, what's going on in the currency. Phone starts to ring people. People want to know what's going on, what's going on. So Nice.
3: So so how about also just another question, just with the Canada Day and then you also have Independence Day down in the States. Uh, what happens in the currency markets around these holidays?
5: Liquidity is very, very low compared to normal times. Um, when you get large you know, positions in the market, then there's a good chance that you get thin market moves to clear those out. So um, we may not be done with the stronger Canadian dollar move as of yet.
1: Hey, the Jeff, the Canadian dollar, because the stock market, 9.30 to 4. The bond market, almost four days a week. Any and, and, and sniff of a holiday, bond, bond deaths are dead. Yep.
5: Currencies, different, aren't they? Yeah, 24 hours a day from Sunday afternoon to Friday at 5.
1: Sunday after, so five and a half days of trading.
5: Pretty much, yeah. And, and
1: 24 hours around the clock.
5: 24 hours around the clock. So you can clock.
1: always trade the Canadian dollar. If you don't like it and you find a market that's open, you can sell it.
5: Yeah, you can always trade it.
1: Unbelievable. And you can convert it, again, around the clock yeah. to, from Canadian dollars
5: into U.S. dollars? Into any currency you want.
1: Incredible. Wow. Whatever date you want. Well, look, happy candidate to you, my good friend. Always a pleasure to talk something Canadian, which is the Looney. Uh, the Looney's had a good week. So, hey, I guess globally as a purchasing consumer, we're all a little richer this week. But we don't always see this stuff. So, Jack and I are here to help you see just how fortunate you all are. All right. Vinyl, my friends. Big resurgence. We talked about music last week. This is Hi-Fi Radio. And I'm talking high fidelity for a couple of hits. going to talk music and vinyl presses right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto.
0: For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, down. AM640. You can't call us mainstream. The only real radio
1: versus a big machine. Happy birthday, Canada! Hi-Fi Radio and the Fidelity you were listening to was the 102.1 band. I used to work at CFY Radio in the late 80s, right through the 90s, into 2000. But a few decades before me was a gentleman named Lindsay Gillespie, who's joining us on the air right now. And of course, uh, he is the producer of that song, working on the radio. Welcome aboard, Lindsay.
4: Thank you, Wolfgang, and it wasn't several decades. It was only one decade before you. I'm not
1: that old, okay? Well, yeah, so yeah, you worked from 77 at at the edge, or at CFNY, the spirit of radio, from 1977 to 1979. I joined in 1988, Uh, so you are correct, just over a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, Now, Lindsay, the the reason I brought you on here, and we're going to have a lot of fun with you for the next, uh, shall I say, 15 minutes, but uh, I I remember you back in the music days, because, of course, you had yourself a little record company but equally uh, fascinating to me was, of course, Music Manufacturing. You uh, manufactured music. You had record presses, correct?
4: Well, Music Manufacturing Services uh, was a company that worked with independent recording artists and small record labels to help them get their music onto uh, you know, commercially viable products. It really started off when, when CD started to come into vogue and, and became the main product we help the indies get CDs out the same as the major record labels are doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, again, uh, speaking with you off air, uh, 26% of physical music shipments today are records. That's what I read, yeah. 26% are records. Uh, so I called you up, Lindsay. I said, Lindsay, is any vinyl being pressed anymore in Canada? Uh, did, so do, do you have the answer to that question?
4: Well, the answer is absolutely. There's several plants that have opened up in just the past few years. Hmm.
1: In, in, in what, in Toronto, Montreal? Uh,
4: there's there's uh, one in at least one in Montreal. There's one in Burlington. There's one or two in Toronto. And I believe there was a guy out west who may or may not still be open, who uh, I think it was in Calgary. And I've heard about a plant possibly in Vancouver, but I don't know for sure. Uh,
1: now, a music press or a vinyl press, uh, what was that – Contraption worth uh, back in the late '70s or early '80s to purchase a new one of those machines, and and what would that machine be worth today?
4: Well, when we we started a we started a vinyl company back around uh, sometime in the '90s. I know we I know we closed it in 2008. We actually closed before vinyl really took off big. Um, but we were buying. You could buy a press for five or ten thousand dollars back then. But the presses back then were. Basically relics from the 1950s, when we started our factory called the Vinyl Factory, we, managed, we found some presses somewhere in Nashville or somewhere in the Southern U.S. And they were, you know, they were like Model Ts at that point.
1: <laughs> did, you know? did, did anything in the technology of, of, of record presses really change that much over the uh, you know, over four or five decades?
4: Well, it hadn't changed that much when we bought our plant and we set up our plant, but since then. You know, we closed our plant in in 2008 because, well, a couple of reasons. One, uh, the machines were totally unreliable. We couldn't get spare parts. We were fabricating parts more than we we were buying stuff. And two, my my partner in the plant, Jack Hawthorne, who had been pressing records, I think, for 50 years at that time, was basically, uh, no pun intended, running out of steam. (laughs) I said that because vinyl presses require steam to operate. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, what happens is the the press heats up, you know. Steam runs through the press, melts the vinyl, squishes the vinyl into a record, and then cold water runs through the press, which hardens the vinyl and it comes off as a record. And then the cycle continues. So you've got steam going in and you know on and off all the time throughout the process. What well, what puts the little grooves in the vinyl? There's only one groove on a on our per side on right. the record, um, and you cut a you cut a lacquer. There's a you put, you basically take a blank record which is made of a, a, a resin product, and you cut that groove with a lathe. It's, music play, it's like a record, record player in reverse. Instead of the, the needle riding in the groove and wiggling and making the groove, the needle wiggle is heated and makes the groove in the, in the master record. And from that, you make a mold, and you make stampers, and, the, and it's, uh, it's, it's basically injection molded.
1: Hmm. we're not going to talk about eight tracks we're not even going to talk about cassettes i want to stay on vinyl because that's what's yeah. cool right now uh yeah. we we gotta, we gotta keep the lights on in here Lindsay. you know what i'm talking about you're an old radio guy they gotta sell a few yeah. spots uh just to keep the show alive and i love having you on air with us Lindsay gillespie you're also a car enthusiast but uh, again we'll see how much time we got do talk about that maybe as well i've got a record player in the back of your car uh hang on with us folks one more hit coming up right after this Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. this You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto.
0: For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM640.
1: Little Nash to Slash on your Canada Day. Lindsay Gillespie's on the line. Now, Lindsay, didn't you say that Nash sang on Working on the Radio?
4: No, Working on the Radio was a, a record that we put together. In, uh, there, was, there was a campaign to save real radio when CFNY was threatened with extinction back in the late 70s. And we put together a record. We wrote a record called, uh, a couple of the guys at the radio station wrote a song called Working on the Radio. And I decided to produce it one way or another. So I called some friends and to see if I could put a band together and uh, and see what we could do. And I managed to get Teenage Head uh, minus Frankie Venom to be the rhythm section. And Nash responded and said he'd come out and play on it. And Dominic Triano, who is, of course, one of the best guitar- rock guitarists mm-hmm. ever come out of Canada, he said, sure, I'll play on it. So I made a couple more phone calls and managed to get some studio time downtown at a big big uh, 24-track recording studio. And we went in one night at, uh, I think we went in at midnight, and by 5 or 6 in the morning, we had a record. We had a song recorded.
1: (laughs) It's so much fun. eh? Now, you know, it's always interesting to see, we're going to pick on the millennials for a nanosecond here, to see a millennial millennial walk up to me and hand me a Walkman, uh, or even a record player perhaps. You know, what is this, how does it work? Um, And, of course, we... Guess what? Uh, so Lindsay, I want you to explain to us vinyl uh, yeah. it, it, it's analog, it's mechanical, it's physical. How is how was vinyl originally produced, recorded, and manufactured? Go go through the process with us. Well from the, from the master right through to, to the final product.
4: Well, do you want to go all the way back to uh, like cylinder players and Thomas Edison no, or but no,
1: no, let's fast forward a little bit in the interest of time.
4: All right, you know, to make an LP record or a 45, it, you know, you start with a blank, basically a blank record, a shiny, flat piece piece of acetate. You cut the groove in it with a with a mastering lathe. The music gets played through the lathe, and the needle creates the groove. And then you you make stampers from that record, that, that record number one, that master. You make basically molds that go into your press. And the hot vinyl is injected in between the mold and the, it, it, it's called a record press because the, the press comes down like a grilled cheese sandwich and just squishes the vinyl and puts the groove in the, both sides of the vinyl.
1: And, and, and from there, the, that, that's what the... Sounds uh, like you're
3: stamping auto parts.
4: It's, it's kind of the same way.
3: So, so how long is so auto parts? How, they always measure things in cycle time. So what's the, the cycle time for a uh, record?
4: When we were pressing, it was probably somewhere between 25 and 35 seconds. You know, one would come off the press every 25 or 30 seconds.
1: Hey, Lindsay, if you were to take, say, Zeppelin 4. Yeah. How many pressings of that record in your guesstimation have occurred? Millions. Millions of actual pressings, where they go back to the factory and they press out another batch of records?
4: Well, you've got to remember, when a record sold a million copies back in the 60s or 70s, uh, there were there was no cassettes. There weren't that many eight tracks sold. Cassette was not a major factor. So if you if you had a million seller in 1970, chances are most of those millions were on vinyl records.
1: Yes, yeah, but how many times would they have gone to factory like each run? Jack was talking cycles. How many how many records would they produce in a run?
4: In a run, yeah. Well, it, it depends on the pre-orders. When the record company goes out and sells a new record, if they get pre-orders for, you know, a million records, they'll press a million records before it even hits the street just to ship to the stores. True. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then over the years, when they go back, when, when stores order more, if the if the record company is low on inventory, they'll go back to the pressing plant and they'll order an, another run of records. And, you know, a run... When we were pressing records or run was any... You know, people would call up and say, I want to put my record out, you know, I want to put my CD on vinyl how much does it cost for 25 copies? Yeah. And we'd say, you know, about $100 a copy. <laughs> and "Well, so what if we bought 1000 Okay, $25 a copy. Wow. You know, yeah. it's all because a oh. lot of the cost is the upfront cost.
3: Sure, it's all based on volume then, I guess. So with the, the new bands coming out, everything we're talking about with vinyl, it's all about the old bands and getting some of the uh, that back on, on vinyl. Are new yeah. bands using it as well? Are they using it as like a marketing tool? Like they get the, the jacket for the... Uh, for the vinyl and the whole deal, or is it uh, just old stuff that they're repressing?
4: Well, when we were pressing vinyl you know back in uh, in the uh, you know like ten you know ten twenty ten fifteen years ago, it was more of a novelty and people were pressing records just to be cool, just to be different and they'd press three hundred copies, they'd go out as promos, they'd go out to radio stations, they'd go to writers, they'd go to collectors. But now, stores are actually selling vinyl and and people are buying vinyl to take home, I assume, to play on record players if they still have them because... Why else would the, Why else would so many people be buying vinyl if they weren't actually playing it? So it's more than a marketing tool now. It's actually a, a medium. Yeah, no, we you were trying to actually did. get
1: Babeler Radio in, uh, on the show with us, good friends of mine, uh, Mark Mandelson and uh, Richard Bowden, to talk about uh, the amount of turntables uh, and, and types of turntables that are available right now. I have a very funky one, the same one that actually is in that show, Suits. If you catch that show, uh, uh, Harvey yep. Specter plays a turntable. and I have the exact same turntable at home. I picked up a Babeler Radio, made in Czechoslovakia. Very, very cool very simple this isn't belt drive it's like an elastic band drive i kid you not motor yeah. separated from from the platter the platter is up on three prongs uh very very simple it's fully automatic you have to go to the record at the end of the play have to lift the, lift up the tone arm and put it back uh so there's no gears and it. it's just unbelievable piece of yeah. uh, simplicity yeah, totally, is what it is but you know lindsay i'm totally gonna get nostalgic here and it is canada day um but you know i really really enjoyed as a teenager going down young street Walking to Sam, the record, man. The big wall, the sales. When can I get Zeppelin 4 for four ninety nine? Ooh, look, I can get the cars now for three ninety nine. Who's that flashing the pan up there? Don't understand that band, but they used to always stick up on that wall. You remember yeah. flash the pan up there, Lindsay? I uh, do remember You remember? It's that. hilarious, eh? Oh, yeah. man. Lindsey Gillespie, man. We got a lot of history, pal. Former jock of CFY, the spirit of radio. Worked at Attic Music. Uh, had a pressing plant, and now collects a bunch of cars and lives far, far away from the big smoke. But not too far because he still gets a 640 A real pleasure having you with us here, Lindsay. Happy candidate to you, my friend.
4: Happy candidate day, day to you too, Wolf.
1: Thank you. Well, there's another show of Hi-Fi Radio. Enjoy the cake. Don't try to blow out the candles. I think there's 150 of them on today. Uh, but I want to thank you all with lots of love for joining us. And we will be back with you again next week. Bye for now. <laughs>
0: You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email wolfandjack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio,
4: for the love of money. We'll see you next week.